Christ, Christianity, culture, and sex. I love these type of sermons. <laughs> I got to be honest with you. I don't even have to look at the text. I don't even have to look at my notes. I, I really could preach this extemporaneously because this is the kind of stuff that just lives in me. When you know the before and after picture of just how awesome Christ is and how filthy a life is without Christ, and you see the contrast and you live the contrast and you enjoy the contrast, it is just a beautiful, beautiful sight. And it's something that resonates in us and it lives in us. Uh, I do want to deal with this as we see what's going on in the world today. It's obvious. How about, maybe I'll read the text first, how's that sound? That's always a good idea, amen? We'll read the text first. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. No, I don't want to. How's that sound? Okay. Introduction first. It's obvious we live in a world that has gone sexually crazy. Sex, without a doubt, is an idol that's worshipped from the bottom of men and women's heart, from young and old. The world has gone sex crazy. Uh, It doesn't seem... Like sex or some component of sex is not in the newspaper or not on the front page or the news lines every day. There was a time when I I can remember back in the the mid to late 70s, the only uh, physical fitness magazine really there was was something called uh, Powerlifting Today. And Powerlifting Today branched off into men's fitness. And I remember in the late 70s, early 80s, you can actually buy a men's fitness magazine. And guess what you read about? Men's fitness. And then one day I was looking, it started in the mid-80s and the late 80s. All of a sudden, you could not get through the front page without something done, better sex. Everything has to sell better sex. From, from fitness magazines, even it got into Powerlifting magazines, everywhere you go... Do this if, if, if you want. I do it all the time. I go by the newsstand and I see, let's see what they're trying to sell me today. Uh, three, three new techniques to better sex. This is better sex. How you can promote better sex. As though that is the holy grail of life. Without it, you do not exist as a man or a woman. It has to be more. It has to be better. It has to be a quality to it. No one's talking about sacredness. No one's talking about sex in the eyes of God. No one's saying to go to bed with your wife and say, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for sex. Praise God we didn't have sex tonight. And I'm still a man. I'm still a woman. I'm still a child of God. This is the world we live in. Sex. Crazy. I want to look at this topic today and see what God has to say about it and the culture we live in. It's obviously we live in a culture that's saturated by sexual perceptions and sensory perceptions. It's audible. It's visual. Uh, You can't go anywhere without it trying to sell it on you, come on you. It's on TV. It's in magazines. It's on the commercials, advertisements. It's in the school system. Anywhere you go, everywhere you go, sex sells. But understand something. It sells more than it bargains for. Not all that glitter is gold. Let me read an article from a blog I read. It's a church and culture blog. Dr. White is down in North Carolina. This is what he has to say. What is the current state of sex, dating, and singles? He says, look no further than the annual single survey funded by the Dallas-based dating service, Match, 
and conducted by the research now. Millennials, they go on to say, 48% more likely to have sex before the first date. Think about it. Before the first date. So I want you to think about that, all right? Put your hats on. Think. What does that mean? So you don't go out. There's no wine. There's no dinner. You have your sex first, and then maybe you'll get a dinner afterwards. 48%. Have sex before the first date. I don't even know what that really means. All I know, they don't even know each other's first name and they're having sex, okay? 28% view sex as the way to decide whether they love someone. You know, you gotta, you gotta taste the goodies first, I guess. I guess that then will, whether I will love you or not. Uh, and of course, it goes up to 73% when it comes to men. All right? Almost 70% of singles approve of sexual relationships of deep connection with more than one partner. Polyamorous. You can have a deep spiritual, I like that they throw spiritual around as though everybody's just spiritual. Everything's good. Everything's of God. Satan doesn't exist. You can have these deep, penetrating, insightful, you know, concern for more than one sexual part. I, I thought about this. I, 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 I get a kick out of this. You know, it's like <laughs> you're waking up and say, what did you do last night? Well, I had sex with Jim all night. And, but I loved him, and now I'm with Bob. And then Sunday night, I'm going to be with Bill. And, you know, oh, tell them I was asking for them. Tell them I'm concerned for their health. And how are their kids doing? And, and tell me, is everything okay? And maybe we can all get together one day and just have a big party. We all care for one another. But yet, this is what they believe. And this is, this is really, I was introduced to this word and this concept only about a month ago. And everywhere I turn now and read on this and all the blogs, they're all using this. And this, they're celebrating it. That someone can have a deep, abiding, caring, nurturing, concerned, sexual relationship with multiple personalities. They'll swear by this, that it's good for you and it's okay. It's good for the culture. As I said earlier, to be sure, sex is without a doubt an idol. It always has been, hasn't changed, nothing's changed, but today they dress it up in sophistication and, 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 and they try to make it okay that everything's all right. There's nothing wrong with it. Everywhere we look, sex is sold as the holy grail of human experience. As I already said, it's marketed from Hollywood to entertainment, schools, commercials, clothing lines, retail, sex sales. But beware, there's plenty of buyer's remorse going on that no one's talking about. No one's talking about the buyer's remorse. But some researchers are. Listen to this one researcher, a Canadian-based reported, a Canadian paper reported that in one study we explored prevalence of regret following uncommitted, uncommitted sexual encounters. And they describe uncommitted sexual encounters as casual sex that occurs with someone once and only once or with someone known for less than 24 hours. Okay. 
among 138 female and 62 male Canadian university students who were approximately 21 years of age, the majority of participants self-reported that they had experienced feelings of regret after uncommitted sexual encounter. We found women reported feeling significantly more regret than men. However, men's regret were more closely tied to physical attributes than women's regrets. Regret was also influenced by the quality of their sex. The high quality of sex really led to regret, while the reverse was true of the poor quality of sex. In keeping with past studies, intoxication by alcohol and or drugs was often listed as the source of regret for these sexual encounters by men and women. So that doesn't make it into the front page. You've got to search that out. The Huffington Post is one of the most liberal papers you can get. It says this, when asked to describe one memorable regret in their lives, didn't say sexual regret. The poll says when asked to describe one memorable regret, any kind of regret, in their lives, a re- recent large survey found that most common calm, calm amongst the nationally represented poll of North Americans involved romance or sex. This covered sex, love, dating, and marriage. Romantic or sexual remorse includes divorce, marrying the wrong person, an affair, not pursuing someone special, casual sex with the wrong partner, losing one's virginity too early, and even losing one's virginity too late. There's regret over that. Women are more likely than men to describe to a romantic regret. And this is only a small sample and goes to show something is wrong and they fail to give some of the psychological damage that has taken place, these unspoken consequences that as a pastor I've sat down with many, many people, men and women, who after years of hiding and shame and guilt really confessed the, the pain they've experienced through all sorts of sexual encounters, uh, abortion, this is both men and women, many times. A woman over 50 years old finally said she had to sit down with me. And, and when we spoke and she, she poured out her heart, how she had multiple abortions by the time she was 25 years old and how it haunted her over the years. I went online and I looked up a post-abortion regret. You see how much came up. Now I must say... There's a war going on online between pro-life and pro-choice. There's one pro-choice that says 95% of women who had an abortion don't regret it. There are several other researchers that disagree with that from a pro-life perspective. You know where we stand. As a pastor, as living this out, not just as a minister, but just with friends and family over the years, I have to believe that the pro-life have it right. There's much regret that goes on to all sorts of sexual uh, encounters that bring all sorts of consequences throughout life, uh, socially transmitted diseases, sexually transmitted diseases, abortions, uh, uh, a broken heart, giving yourself over to a man or a woman that doesn't reciprocate the love back. And, you know, people are tormented by this and they're traumatized by this. But no one is what? No one's speaking about it. Because it's, it's all fun. It's, it's all okay. Don't listen to the church. Don't listen to that antiquated way of living. Don't listen to being uh, virtuous. Don't listen to celibacy. 
experience yourself is what they say. Nurture it and express it at any cost. Throw yourself into it. But no one's studying the consequences after 10 and 20 years of multiple, multiple sexual partners. Of all the counseling I've ever did, I've never heard anybody ever say, you know, Pastor, I'm so happy I slept with so many women before I got married. It's enhanced my marriage with my wife. No woman has ever said, you know, Pastor, I'm so happy I've, I've had so many sexual partners with men before I got married. It's, me and my husband, it's made me and my husband a better... No, it doesn't. It's tormenting, and nobody's speaking about it. But understand something, there's good news. We did not learn Christ that way. We did not learn Christ that way. Let's go to our text. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. Verses 17 to 24. And listen to the culture we live in. And listen to what Paul says about it. Starting in verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord. That you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. In the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding. Alienated from the life of God. Because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality. This is a cultural thing here. They have given them, they have become callous and given themselves up to sensuality. And not just that, but greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Paul goes on to say, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus... To put off the old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, I could add deceitful sexual desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Paul is drawing a sharp contrast between the Gentile unbelieving culture around the church Specifically in sexual behavior, in all sensuality and greediness from your more to practice impurity. The sexual connotation in this text is, is first and foremost. Paul is teaching Christians how they should live now. It's an indictment against the culture around them. It's an indictment against the Roman Greco world and its view, its, its low view of sexual intercourse. It's a corrupting and degrading influence Paul is introducing us to here. Verses 17 and 19 show that sexual depravity of a society that has no idea or no need for the one true God. When you take God out of the equation, when you take the one true knowledge of God out of the equation, something, some kind of form of idolatry will fill the void and men will worship self and self-indulgence above all things. Take God out of the equation. Look at the culture today. Look at what they've done. They've dismantled God. They've taken him out of every institution we have that's been sacred to us. They removed it. The church doesn't know how to deal with it. And now we have a culture that's sex crazed. No one's speaking about the consequences. I have a list of more and more 
articles, I can, but we can go on and on forever, of just the horrors of the sexual consequences and the regret that take place on college campuses, even in some churches. The ancient world was full of religions, but no truth about the one true God. Verses 20 to 24 show what Christ has done for them and for us today. Please understand something, church. I'm speaking to us, us, me and you, as Paul would say to the Christian 2,000 years ago. Christ is the dividing line between us and the culture we live. He is the only stance we have. He's the only red line in the sand. If Christ is not first and foremost in our hearts, we will succumb to what is taking place in the culture around us, and Christians are falling all the time. Christ is the dividing line between sexual virtue and sexual vice. I remember when I first got sober. I was going to Alcoholics Anonymous. I was 25 years old. And even prior to that, probably when I was about 23, I just got married. And, you know, you just struggle with, with certain lust of the flesh and a certain lust of the heart and mind. And I remember sitting down with a therapist and I was going to uh, counseling with my wife. And, and I've shared this before. After the first meeting, the, the therapist said, Well, Terry, I don't need to see you anymore. But, Brian, I'd like you to come back. You know, that was. That happened several times in several different councils. I guess you knew something, right? So, when the, and the guy was a good guy. He, he helped me a lot. Secular, helped me a lot. But I remember saying, you know something? I struggle with lust and, uh, you know, some of these things I'm not proud of. And I remember speaking about it. And, and with sincerity, though it was eating me up alive, with sincerity said, these are normal. It's normal to express that. I didn't have an answer for him. I was about 23 years old. Not versed in scripture. Didn't know God. Didn't know science. I knew nothing. All I knew was it was wrong. Moral intuition teaches us what? Something's wrong. And I knew something was wrong. There was something about it I didn't like. And, and after I left that day and a couple of times, I was like, you know something? That's not right. Then two years later, I got sober, and I remember, you know, going to a men's meeting. It's still there Saturday morning downtown, and, and what men would get together, we would want to encourage each other in sobriety. It's a good thing. And then we would talk about some of these sexual things that were taking place and some of these lust, and we'd share about it because we didn't want to drink over it, and it helped. But it didn't remove anything. It didn't help. I didn't want to hear it's okay, and I, would, I didn't want to just not drink over it. I, something inside was crying out, this is wrong. And I had to suffer under that until I got saved. And then when I got saved at 30 years old, I remember reading the text that said in Galatians 5.23 that you have crucified the passions. You have crucified the flesh with its evil desires and passions. And I remember it went off like a red light. I was like, Christ is the answer. 
Christ is the answer. He is what I longed for. He was the healing I needed that psychology couldn't give me. Therapy couldn't give me. Twelve steps couldn't give me. Sobriety couldn't give me. A good friend couldn't give me. My wife couldn't give me. Only God can give it. He's the dividing line between sexual virtue in the mind and the heart and sexual vice. There is nothing else. The rest of the world can only accommodate it and write legislation that says it's okay. They don't know what to do with it. Christ is. Christ rescues us out of this sinful culture with sexual deviances and then continues to rescue us from ourselves as life goes on and these passions, desires are still there and they're gnawing at us. And the remnant is still there. You get these rogue thoughts. You get these rogue desires that constantly remind me that though I'm saved, I'm not in heaven yet. And I got to work out my salvation with fear and trembling with the rest of the body of Christ, knowing that it is God who is at work within us, both for his good will and his pleasure. I don't know how Christians, a genuine Christian, can make it not in the local body of Christ. There's just no way. I could never do it. I'm so grateful, not just to be saved, but from day one I was in the local body of Christ. I'm thankful that God has given me a gift to articulate and preach and to counsel and to pastor. I think these are things that are, are, are part of Staying sanctified and staying strong in God, fellowship with other believers is the foundation to strong purity. Of course, the word of God being the foundation of all our relationships. But Jesus alone can rescue us, and he has. Verse 17. I'll break these verses down. I will only speak on verse 17, 18, and 19. I will speak on... Learning about Christ next time. Now this I say in testifying the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Paul is using the strongest language to show Christians how they should live in a corrupt culture around them. He says it this way. Now I say to you, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. That would have been good enough. For Paul to say, this I say to you is good enough. But he goes on further, he says, I say this to you and testify upon the Lord or in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their mind. Paul is using the strongest language possible to show Christians how they should live in the culture around them. He says, must no longer Live as you used to live. No longer walk as the Gentiles do. You once were a Gentile. You were once in the world without hope. You were once in the world without God. You were once in the world without Christ. You were once in the world without the Holy Spirit. You were once in the world without the Word of God. You were once in the world without the fellowship of believers. But no longer are you like that anymore. You must no longer live like you lived before you had God in your life. You must no longer live like you used to live before Christ was 
sins in your life. You must no longer live like you live when you have no mercy and grace and forgiveness in your life. You must no longer live like you lived when you had no hope in your life. No moral fortitude in your life. No moral strength in your life. You don't live like you have no understanding of God. Don't live like that anymore. You have not learned Christ that way. But yet Christians, if not careful, will find themselves sweeped up into what the culture says about sex. Let's put it this way. I don't sit here and preach down to anybody. I came out of that. Unfortunately, I know it firsthand. I know the before and I know the after. And the only difference is Jesus Christ, period. He says this, not just to no longer live like that, but he he clarifies himself in the futility of their mind. He shows the cultural thinking or the cultural way of life, specifically the way they thought about sex, that it was futile. It means vain. It means empty. It means worthless. It means something that produces nothing. Their mind is something that produces nothing. Not that the human mind doesn't produce technology and other advances, but the human mind cannot advance in godliness. The human mind cannot advance in truth, in righteousness, and in virtue. That comes from God. They have an empty way of thinking about matters of life, And sex, they have a low view of sex. To them, it's not sacred at all. It is personal indulgence. It is personal entertainment, personal satisfaction, usually at the expense of another person and always at the expense of their own soul. As some of the regret articles I read. Personal experience. Experience ministering to people. Regret is everywhere. See, sexual consequences are not quickly realized, but they last forever. 75-year-old woman, a saint for many years, with tears in her eyes, talked to me how she struggled with pornography from her youth. A woman. So a dear woman who loved the Lord, saved for many years, First time she ever confessed it at 75 years old. The most least expecting human being. It opened up my eyes. I ministered to the best I can, but I remember praying and saying, Oh my God, just how bad is it out there? Our text teaches us it's bad. The consequences, if they're not dealt with in Christ, and I will get to that in our application if you are here today. If you are a Christian, even if you're not a Christian, please understand something. If you are a Christian, Christ has restored your spiritual virginity back to you. Our sins don't separate us from Christ anymore, and we live in hope, and we understand purity, and we understand having a pure approach to sex again. We understand the power of renewing our minds in all areas of life. The world cannot say that. Therapy cannot say that. A friend of mine called me up. 
I've ministered him for many years. He's still yet to become a Christian. But he caught his wife in, a, in, a, in an affair and all sorts of sex texting and all this stuff was going on. And I sat down and I, and I ministered to him. And I, I poured out my heart to sit down. Let me speak to you and your wife. And so after speaking to him several times and his wife put up a good fight and went to a secular psychologist. Secular psychologist told him, a marriage therapist, that it looks like she's moved on Forget about it and just try to make the best of it. Keep the marriage together. So he brought this to my attention. I said, well, yeah, you know, if, if your conscience can live with that, I said, the only way your marriage can move on is with full disclosure. Full disclosure. If you're telling me that you can go to sleep and your wife's not home at 12 o'clock because she's at an office party and your mind's not going to go crazy, then so be it. But I'm telling you now, it's not gonna happen. Never saw him again. Saw him two years later, just about a month ago. Broken. He remembered every word I told him. And he goes, you're right. I haven't slept in two years. They're still going to see that secular psychologist with no hope. That's what the world gives. Because they don't have Jesus as the answer. They're not into full disclosure. They're not into putting on the truth as our text is going to teach us next week. They have no idea that truth is in Jesus. Jesus is truth. To me, Jesus is to meet truth. To me, truth is to meet Jesus. They don't have that. So they play the shuffle game. Make believe it didn't happen. Just move on. Forget about it. Keep the family unit together as you're dying on the inside. Do anything for the cost of the family, but you're dead on the inside. He goes on to say, they are darkened in their understanding. This, this futile mind is going to give us an understanding now. He's going to give us commentary. They are darkened in their understanding. That's why their mind is futile, he's saying. They're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. See, Paul traces this empty thinking, this fruit of this empty thinking is the root of a hardened heart. The world tries to deal with the symptom. The world tries to deal with the consequence. But the world cannot deal with the problem. The human heart. And do you know why? That's God's jurisdiction. Not man's. It's God's. He's created us in his image. Only he can restore us. and Only he can teach us what truth is. Only God knows what truth is. Paul traces his empty thinking to the real problem that in the heart of the matter, there's no knowledge of God. Any real, moral, sexual understanding of God was gone in that culture, and it's gone today. They haven't a clue. Paul calls it ignorance. It's willful ignorance. It's not ignorance. Oh, no one taught me, Pastor. Oh, Mom, no one told me. This is a willful, I don't want to know this truth. I'm too busy fulfilling the desires of my lust that I'm ignorant to the truth of God's way. They haven't a clue. It's a refusal to see the obvious. This willful ignorance is a byproduct of their hardness of heart. 
This hardness of heart, he says here, it's a frightful Greek word. It means to petrify. To become so callous, so hard of stone, that the conscience cannot feel anymore. It's beyond sensitivity and perception. It's gone to a place where the conscience is petrified. Insensitive to any moral regret whatsoever. Does it sound familiar? This is written 2,000 years ago. Go into Genesis chapter 6. That's the first time you really see it. Even after the flood, it hasn't gone anywhere. The heart of society and the culture we live in is so stone hard, so petrified that no moral absolute can ever penetrate it. To speak to a millennial today about sexual purity, you might as well speak to a rock. No sensitivity. The culture we live in is insensitive to virtue. Vice sells. And if that wasn't bad enough. Verse 19 says they have become callous. And have given themselves up to sensuality. Greedy to practice every kind of impurity. This hardness of heart that blinds the mind. And makes it unfruitful to God. Is expressed in shameless sensuality. And sexual vice. Shameless. The word callous means shameless. Shameless. Trying to experience life in its fullest through the senses. That's what it is. Sensuality. The shameless sensuality that I'm going to experience life specifically through sex. Sex first priority approach to life, to relationship. Callous means shameless. William Barclay says, this came to... The Greeks would use this as a man who became such a slave to liquor that he did not care who saw him drunk. Didn't care. Wake up the next day with no remorse whatsoever. Just get up and do it again. No shame. He goes on to say it also meant a man that let his sexual desires so master him that he does not care who sees him satisfied anymore. Just no shame. Think about the times I'm walking down 10th Avenue in Manhattan or even down here on 3rd Avenue and you see men, usually men just walking out of these sort of pornography places and it's just like they walk out with the paper under their arm and they're walking out in the light of the day like, like no shame whatsoever. You know, stuff like that used to be done in the dark. They weren't open in the daytime. And then you had to go, they, they had to go find them in the far corners of, of, of the society, of the, the community, off near the docks and in the alleyways. But now it's, it's front and center. Celebrate with us. Celebrate the shameless things is the culture we live in. Am I speaking the truth? 
or not? Is this the culture we live in? This is our culture. Shameless, defiant, reckless, careless, belligerent. They don't just are shameless about it. They gloat and boast about it. I mean, I train in the gym. If it wasn't for the, the, the spirit of God in me, as you're training and you see the music, first it's the music. Every now and again, I got to go down and say, please change this. It is disgusting. And they respect me, so they'll do that. Then you got just all the videos, the music videos, and, and, and I look and it's like, I'm like, praise God for Jesus. Because if it wasn't for Jesus, I'd be a wreck of a man. He's the dividing line. He gives us a moral capability that goes far beyond what man could ever have in the natural. It has to be infused and abused from above. It has to be given by God in grace through Christ. Nothing else will do. People are walking around desensitized on what they're hearing. They're desensitized to what they're seeing. They're desensitized going to a movie, a 25-foot 25 25 screen, and two people are rolling around in bed, and then they're going to go home like nothing really. I'm so sophisticated. I'm so intellectual. That, that doesn't have no effect on me, Pastor. And then all of a sudden you start to get sexually aroused, and it's not your wife you're thinking about. She's not arousing you. It's, it's what you saw on the screen. It's what you saw in the window. It's what you saw in the gym. That's what's doing it. But no one says anything. That's the pink elephant in the room. Don't. We're all happy, aren't we? Ex-wives, how happy they are. Ex-husbands, how happy they are. It's painful out there, but nobody's speaking about it. The Christian church is called, as Paul is doing here, to raise a standard of awareness not to live anymore as we used to live when we were Gentiles, not to think in the futility of our mind. We have the mind of Christ. We're being renewed. We know the sacredness that's attached to sex. I'd rather have no sex at all for the rest of my life, for a thousand lives, than to have to experience it the way I experienced before Christ came into my life. Please, singles, don't feel so bad. Single and saved, single and virtuous is beautiful. It's beautiful and don't let the world ever steal that from you. Ever. It's wonderful and God will fill you and God will keep you and God will encourage you and he'll make you happy like no man ever could. Don't fall prey to what the culture says. Come celebrate the culture says. Come celebrate and, 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 and celebrate our perverse practices. Come. It's all acceptable now. All the taboos have been pulled up. Religion is it's in the background. Religion's on the retreat. The Pandora's box is open. Live. Experience. I don't even want to talk about how this has penetrated grammar schools. And the sexual counseling that has to take place 
in grammar school, never mind high school. Free from religious sexual concerns, free from religious shackles. That's the culture we live in. And if that is not enough, this shameless disregard for the sacredness of sex. He says here, they have a greediness to practice all impurity. It's another graphic Greek word that expresses a person's defiant approach to life. It's, it's an insatiable appetite. Greed is an insatiable appetite for more. You see, sex is never satisfied in the world. More. Pornography pushes the envelope constantly further and further. And you hear the horror stories. What started with just this ended up in a place that a man never thought he would go to. It's an insatiable appetite. Greed to practice. Greedy to engage more and more and more. 2,000 years ago. This is the person, this is the culture who doesn't care what others think about their behavior anymore. Shameless. I want to practice it more. I want to engage in it more. I want to promote it more. I want to teach it more until everybody celebrates with us. This is the culture Paul lived in, the culture Christ lived in, it's the culture we live in. Uh, nothing has changed, there's nothing new under the sun, vanity of vanities, all is vanities, the preacher told us. But Paul gives us the answer. I'll speak about that next time. It's found in verse 20. You did not learn Christ that way. You did not learn Messiah that way. We'll speak about that. An application, as I said earlier, as a pastor, I want to be extremely sensitive to people, Christian men and Christian women that have regrets and that have engaged and don't really understand just how washed in the blood of Christ they are. I'm here to tell you you're washed. I'm here to tell you you're beautiful. I'm here to tell you you're a vested virgin. I'm here to tell you you're spiritually poor. I'm here to tell you Christ sees it no more. It is far as the east is from the west. I'm here to tell you that Christ embraces you as nothing less than holy and pure forever. Ever. Washed clean in the blood of Christ. Filled with the Holy Spirit. God will no longer, or can he ever longer see you in that light anymore? Christ has taken it upon himself. You and I are pure. Even with rogue thoughts, thoughts, you're pure. Even when you want to touch the impure, you're pure. That God is always there. That God is always caring. And even if you think you failed this week, or you did fail this week, when you got up and you washed yourself in the blood of Christ, let me tell you something. You're still pure. You'll always be pure. You can be nothing but pure in the eyes of God. The world can't give you that. Only Christ can. 
There is absolutely no condemnation for those who are in Christ. We will not let the world lie to us anymore. And my second and last application. We have to be careful as Christians that our war is not against people. It's not us against them. Fisticuffs. The virtuous against the unvirtuous. We are fighting a cultural ethos. This is what drives the culture. Children have no idea that they're succumbing to this kind of thought. They have no other reference whatsoever. This is the prevailing thought. It looks good. It sounds good. It sells easy. But then the regrets and the consequences come in. They have no idea. Everybody in leadership, nobody's speaking to them. Parents aren't speaking about it. I deal with parents all the time. They stay away from the hard subject matters. How do you don't stay away? Speak to your kids about purity and about virtue. Tell them, encourage them. Get on your hands and knees with them and pray with them. Yes, get down on your hands and knees and cry with them and wash them in prayer and hug them and love them and say you're better than that. It's not against people, it's against a cultural ethos that has been implemented by Satan. Please understand something. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Though the human heart is prone to all these things, that the human heart is empty, the mind is empty, and the heart is hardened, understand something. Satan capitalizes on this. We know Christ. Share Christ. Please, Do not squeak out the name of Jesus. If you're going to be a Christian, stand up tall and strong, eyes wide open, and tell people about Jesus. And let God do the rest. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you for every good and perfect gift. We thank you for renewing us and making us spiritual virgins again, Father God. Thank you for the renewing of the mind, Father God. Thank you that our mind is not empty. Thank you that our heart is not careless. Thank you, Father God, that we don't live in shameless, reckless, sexual deviances anymore, Father God, that you've put us on a narrow road, Father God. You have washed us and you have sealed us with the Holy Ghost, Father God. We thank you for the guarantee of the seal of the Holy Spirit, Father God. We thank you that we really and truly can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, Father God. We bless your holy name forever, in Jesus' name.